0: Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the Dan and Joe Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan.
1: And I'm Joe.
0: And Joe, this week, and all of our audience members, we're joined by a special guest, and that is my dad. He's really excited to be on the show. He uh, he loves Auburn football maybe even more than I do, and he's going to be a fun person for me to have on as we discuss the SEC 2020 schedule release and other topics. But, Joe, the first thing that I wanted to get into is your opinion on Dabo Sweeney not giving Kelly Bryant a ring. It's been a rampant topic from Paul Feinbaum to any kind of medium you have right now, with most people being negative against Dabo. So what are your thoughts, Joe? Well, I can understand from the Clemson perspective that
1: he did bail on the team. And of course, you know, want to reserve his eligibility by leaving after four games and entering the uh, transfer portal. But at the same time, the team bailed on him by moving to Trevor Lawrence. And I feel like Dabok Sweeney is not respectful of the fact that without Kelly Bryant, they do not win on the road at Texas a m last season. been a very close game. And I think that... We've seen uh, players on national championship teams that maybe just played a few plays the entirety of the season get rewarded with a championship ring, and Kelly Bryant did not. And then the last thing I'll say, I've seen it before in other sports like Major League Baseball back in uh, 2011. There was a very awkward situation where uh, relief pitcher Darren Oliver Started off the season with the St. Louis Cardinals and was traded to the Texas Rangers at the deadline. And then the two teams coincidentally based
0: off in the World Series, and the Rangers lost to the Cardinals, and the Cardinals still sent Darren Oliver a World Series championship ring. So, all that being said, I think the Kelly Bryant deserved ring. Well, Joe, I mean, you bring up a lot of good points. I think the the biggest, uh, um, in the cap for people that suggest that Kelly Bryant should get a ring is the fact that he is going to be a senior this year. And it was a senior last year and that he would have lost his eligibility if he played for one more game and would not have been able to play at all this year. And I think he was just looking out for the fact that let's be honest, if you are a person that lost their job in college and not end as a starting quarterback, you're not going to have much of a chance in the NFL and people aren't going to take you seriously. And so I really kind of, Mm-hmm. I think that with what Kelly Bryant did to win against A&M, it was a very tightly contested game. that Frankly, they should have won. And for his contributions over the years, and for the fact that he really did it just so that he could play another year and put his name out in the NFL, I think that Dabo should have given him a ring.
2: What do you think, Dad? Mm-hmm. Well, as Daniel's fault, I would say that, you know, it, all of this is totally inconsequential, quite frankly. I mean, if – Consider the fact of a, of a young man that gets run over by a bus on, in downtown in the second week of his, of his career, uh, in, his, in his second year you know, at Clemson. The fact that he got, he was, he got killed in, in the second week and did not finish the season makes him no less or no more meritorious of having a ring than someone who plays for four weeks and moves on to another another school. So, the fact, if you start the season with Texas A&M or Clemson or anybody else, and you're on that team, and you start out and you leave for one reason or another, you should be awarded a ring for that particular year. That's my position anyway.
0: Well, Joe, one thing that I wanted to ask you on that, too, is do you think this kind of ruins Gabo's nice guy persona that he's built up? You know, he's, he's the most religious guy. He's the nicest guy. You know, what is that? The, we're the, the ROI boss, the rest of y'all boss. What he did seemed kind of like an elitist thing that doesn't really fit within the Roy boss. Yeah, I think it definitely um, takes away from that reputation and a label, you know, that people looked at him as just, just a really great guy, a player's coach. You know, now you start to kind of look at him a little bit differently from a different prism. And also, I feel like winning a lot changes perception as well. You know, Clemson now with two national championships in three seasons, they're no longer that underdog role trying to unseat Alabama. You know, they're almost right up there. It's one of the mega forces in uh, college football and quickly becoming a dynasty. Well, Joe, speaking of that, uh, the SEC released their 2020 schedules and really not a lot of fanfare for it outside of Mississippi State's epic release video, which if you haven't seen it yet, you got to see it. Uh, Dad. basically what Mississippi State did is they released a video that highlighted all the teams they're playing in 2020 and they had a joke for every single team. Like, for instance, for the NC State Wolfpack, uh, they had the clip from The Hangover where the guy was talking about, well, it's a Wolfpack of one because I'm by myself. And then when I added you, it became a real Wolfpack. And then for Auburn, they had Charles Barkley trying to unsuccessfully to hit a golf ball for 30 seconds. <laughs> it was actually really clever the way they did it. Uh, but the main thing I wanted to focus on, Joe, you were talking about Alabama for years, it's been a constant joke in America that both Auburn and Alabama schedule a cupcake the week before the Iron Bowl. Auburn will play Alabama State. Uh, Alabama will play Western Carolina. But next season... We have a cupcake. <laughs> LSU. Right? It's LSU, yeah. Uh, Auburn, instead of playing Georgia at the end of the season, their rivalry will be switched up to October. But... You know, Everybody thought that was great for Auburn, except now they've moved LSU to the second-to-last game of the season, <laughs> and now there's no in-between between LSU and Alabama. At least we used to have a week between Georgia and Alabama. But for all the Bama fans that are really excited, they did you a number, too, because now Texas A&M is the week before the Iron Bowl, and they don't have a cupcake in between. So what do you think of this change, Joe? Well,
1: I think as an objective fan... Um, that roots for Ole Miss, you know, I just like seeing uh, competitive uh, SEC football games in the month of November. Right. And so, you know, if I just take out, I mean, rooting interest and just look at it as, like, I want to see LSU and Auburn square off late in the season. I want to see Bama and AM, Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher. That element excites me about this change. But then, if you look at it, you know, as an Auburn or an Alabama fan, you're like, you know, in all fairness, uh, it kind of sets them up for a backloaded schedule mm-hmm. where, you know, the really tough games are at the end of the season. Um, there's not a bye week to rest or a cupcake game uh, to prepare for the iron ball. So, not really sure if I like that if I'm an Alabama or um, an Auburn fan, and especially given the fact that Texas A&M, with their emergence, them and LSU are right up there as, you know, arguably the second or third best teams in the SEC West right now.
0: Yeah, I think that it's interesting. I think they kind of looked at where the SEC West points now, and I think they've looked at the fact that it seems like Auburn, Alabama, LSU, and A&M are kind of your top four teams in the SEC West. probably will be for most years in the foreseeable future, and I think they did that to set up a lot of compelling fights for SEC West at the end of the season. Um, The one thing I do like about it as an Auburn fan is I hated playing Georgia at that time of the year, and I really hate playing LSU at the beginning of the year when you go to Baton Rouge and it's 112 degrees on the heat index, and so now if we go to Baton Rouge, maybe we won't lose to them 10 times in a row. Because we're not going to be dying of, of a heat overdose in uh, in Death Valley in September. Now we will be playing them in November, and maybe it'll at least be in the seventies, and it'll be a little more tolerable. So I think that'll help out, and it'll also be a little little less hot in Auburn too. But I think that actually will ultimately be beneficial towards Auburn and maybe getting a few more wins in that series.
1: <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> All right, Joe. Well, you were talking about Ole Miss. Uh, I think one of our former alums and someone that that I used to know pretty well at Ole Miss had himself a pretty big game the other night. Why don't you tell us a little bit what Chad Kelly did? Well, Chad Kelly, I believe, rushed for 53 yards um, in their preseason game at Buffalo, um, his uncle Jim Kelly's former house when he played in the NFL. And uh, he threw for, I think, 123 yards. He was 13 for, like, 19. And so, you know, a pretty good game. And he really didn't come into the game until in the second half. And you look at the Colts right now, once again, Chad Kelly has been granted a golden opportunity, a second, third, or fourth chance, if you will, in his football career, especially given the fact that, that Andrew Luck right now is dealing with an ankle injury and there are some question marks about whether he'll be ready for the start of the season Jacoby Brissett right now is penciled in as the back Joe, the thing that I like about Chad Kelly, too, which ultimately could be a great thing for him with the Colts, is that he he is tough. I mean, you saw him at Ole Miss. He took vicious hits all the time. He put himself out there to get big-time runs, and he wasn't scared to take the hit. And, I mean, he ultimately did get injured his, his senior year, but he had three years before that without himself getting injured. And I think that he may work out really good for the Colts organization, in that they also have a very good offensive line right now with the Colts, which a lot of rising stars, including Braden Smith, who used to play at Auburn. And last year they turned from being, I think, maybe the worst offensive line the year before into being a top five one. So a lot of improvement there for the Colts. And I think that's a great place for him because if there's one thing we've seen from Andrew Luck, yes, at his best, he's a top five quarterback in this league, but most of the time he's just injury prone And you're lucky to get 10 games out of them a season, much less 16. So if there was a place where you could be a backup quarterback, where you'd have a chance to put yourself in there, it's definitely Indianapolis. Absolutely, Dan. And I also think that the support system is a lot better in Indianapolis than in Denver. I think that Andrew Luck can be a terrific mentor. And also, Chad Kelly's former teammate at Ole Miss,
1: Javon Patterson, an offensive lineman was drafted this year by the Colts. And uh, he grew up in my hometown of Pebble, Mississippi. Patterson is a first-class person and athlete. And I think he can also be a good role model for Chad Kelly.
0: Yeah, I don't think it helps that John Elway hated Chad Kelly's guts and he made that clear from like the day he like took him in the seventh round. I mean, that was kind of a toxic situation to begin with. So I think maybe a little bit better being over there in, in Indianapolis with what seems to be a more solid support system.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And speaking of guys who, you know, did it pretty well for a while in college and then trailed off at the end, uh, Jared Stidham had quite a debut with the Patriots. Threw for 150 yards, had a touchdown. And, you know, maybe he really landed in a great spot because he sure regressed between his sophomore season at Auburn and his junior season. Sophomore season, he's one of the best deep ball throwers in America. Junior season, he has games like the Tennessee game where he inexplicably throws three awful interceptions and fumbles it and can't hit guys deep anymore and really goes into the bottom of the pack with that. But so far, I mean, it seems like he's doing great with the Patriots, and I think he has a good chance to be their number two guy. Uh, Brian Hoyer right now, veteran in the league, been a starter before, but he's kind of on the tail end of his career, and he's never been someone that, people have really trusted to be their starter for a lengthy period of time. I mean, he went, I think, 10 for 12 the other night, had a rushing touchdown and a passing touchdown for Jarrett Stidham. So, uh, before we go to Joe, Dad, what do you think about Jared Stidham's chances of maybe being the starter for the Patriots
2: when Tom Brady finally hangs his hat up? Well, I think that he has talent. He's always had the talent, but more applicable to this conversation, especially with regards to the to Oxford, Mississippi. I'm, I'm Try still figuring out where Laquan Treadwell is going to figure into the NFL. So much talent he's yet to perform, and I would be curious as to what the two of you, being Rebels, and and then watch this kid, uh, where you stand on on what his potential is and whether he'll ever make it in the NFL. Well,
0: that's interesting. Uh, Joe, I'll let you take that one first about Laquan Treadwell. Well, I think part of the problem is that he's at a franchise in Minnesota that's coached by a
1: defensive-minded coach, Mike Zimmer. And Zimmer's philosophy on the utilization of rookie wide receivers receivers is very unique. Um, He told Treadwell his rookie season that he would only play him sparingly, if that, until he had just mastered his route-running ability. And I look at Treadwell, you know, as a matchup nightmare for opposing DBs. And so it really puzzles me why they held him back so much.
0: Um, He did have some moments against the Saints, I believe, in the preseason game uh, last week. But I'm also, you know, very disappointed in the fact that he's not been utilized much in the league. And when he's out on the field, you just don't really see a huge impact. Well, Joe, I think he's gotten a little bit sour about it, too, because I remember watching the Saints-Vikings game last year where he showed visual frustration on multiple occasions because he's wide open and they weren't throwing him the ball. I remember him actually taking his helmet off and slamming it on the ground. And I think part of it is, too, is that the Vikings really have an amazing receiving core outside of him, and they just haven't really given him a chance to succeed. Um, And I really think that he was in a good place where some of those other big weapons that they have could take a little bit of you know heat off of him, but instead they've just relegated him to the bench. And so maybe I think he just needs a new
1: environment to be able to succeed. That, that, that's a compelling point, and they've had guys like Adam Wayne kind of come out of nowhere. Yeah, and he played at the University of Minnesota, Mankato. Who would have thought he would emerge as a Pro Bowl wide receiver?
0: No, I mean, and then, you know, their other big wide receiver is the one that ditched on Auburn to go to Maryland, and it's Stephon Diggs. And he wasn't really that great of a player in college. He was a good player in college, but not someone that you thought was going to be, uh, you know, an all-pro player. And he's had a – he's been an all-pro multiple times now. And so you kind of thought with them having Thielen and Diggs, that Treble would be a great third option. He might be able to have some big games just because he wasn't getting guarded as much with well, these guys maybe getting double cover, but that hasn't really translated.
1: Um, but with... well, The last thing I'll say about with Treadwell, real quick, think about this, Dan. Uh, he was drafted before Michael Thomas, who went in the second round to the six. And so, you know, at the time, it looked like Treadwell was the smart pick. But imagine, you know, if the Vikings could have had Michael Thomas with the uh, D-Lean and Diggs.
0: Um I believe that you could have even put uh, – I don't know, I'm trying to think of the worst quarterback in the NFL You could bring Trent Dilfer out of retirement, and with those (laughs) receivers, I think he still might go to the playoffs. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, you know, back to Jarrett Stidham, though, uh, I really think that with the Patriots' support system they have and with what they assuredly have in terms of mental training that Bill Belichick can give you, We've seen Jarrett Sinnem at his best, and I think a lot of what happened with him last year at Auburn was mental. And I don't know that you can exactly explain it, but I know that when he wasn't engaged, he played some great football. And suddenly when he got engaged, his mind went the other way and he started playing bad. I'm not saying that it's his, you know, future wife or I guess current wife's fault, but I mean something went 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 wrong there. But I think with the level that you could get the Patriots and the right coaching, maybe he could figure out what he mentally lost the season before. And you saw him when he's playing at his best. He's a guy that can be an NFL starter, I think. And so I hope that happens for him. I think he's got a great chance to be potentially a long-term starter after Brady eventually hangs it up at some point in New England. Because you look at Belichick's track record – the year that Brady was injured, plugging in Matt Castle and
1: winning 11 games, I referenced earlier they were able to still win Jacoby Brissett. And, of course, Jimmy Garoppolo got a mega deal after, you know, showing us uh, some good signs of uh, a good play when he was in new England. So I think that Bill Belichick could work wonders with uh, Jared Stone.
0: All right, Joe, before we get to tonight's uh, locker room talk, last thing I wanted to ask you is what do you think the Cowboys should do about Dak Prescott? You're already paying the max deal out to Ezekiel Elliott. You have Amari Cooper who you have to make the decision. He's a free agent, that you have to pay the money too. Dak Prescott, now that he's seen some of these big contracts that have gone out to quarterbacks, and maybe even the one that went to Michael Thomas, he's asking for a lot of money right now. I think he's asking for $30 million. Do you really think that Dak Prescott is worth that money, and should the Cowboys go ahead and say – hey, we have so much great players around you that maybe we'll just cut, let you go if you don't want to work with us on the price. Well, it's difficult to say, Dan, because conventional wisdom, my first impulse would be that Dak Prescott is not worth that kind of money. Let's but at the same out. time, it's so
1: hard in the NFL to find a franchise quarterback. And I can see if they let him go, if they let him walk the Cowboys franchise, floundering, in mediocrity not making the playoffs and never finding another option. I mean, I mean, we've seen so many teams, uh, like the Arizona off, Cardinals since man. Kurt Warner retired, just be stuck in irrelevance,
0: trying to find a starting quarterback. And while Prescott is yet to take them to the Super Bowl, he has made them a, a pretty steady playoff considered Alright, well, Dan I'll pose this one to you. Uh... Let's say that at the end of the year, they decide to go ahead and put the tag on Dak Prescott right now. And whoever the worst team in the league is, right now let's just say it's the Dolphins, So that seems who it's pointing to. They got the number one overall pick. Would you go ahead and trade uh, Dak Prescott to them to get the number one pick and to get two of them? Because that would be there right now. And then you're saving a lot of money, too. You're getting rid of a lot of cat space. They might even have to pay you for some of it. And then you get to sign Tua for four years, pay him a quarter of what Dak Prescott would pay for,
2: and you may ultimately get a better quarterback. Would you do it? Good question. I would say that Tua has has got a feel for uh position of the ball, opportunity for to to throw a uh, a receiver into into openness than in any quarterback i have say in my Fifty years watching the game. Uh, I'm worried about his his health though. I'm not, I'm not sure he's sustainable. Zach Dak Prescott is is about as tough a quarterback you'll ever find. He's not going to find to be hurt very often. He is a winner. Um, so that'd be a good question. And that's why they that's why they pay the big bucks to these these uh, you know these, uh, these these player evaluators on 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 the team. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, would, I would, if I had to, to, to uh bet the farm, I'd go, I'd go with Tua.
0: That's, that's what I think too. I think I would save money and get Tua, who ultimately would be a better player. Yeah, I, mean, too, I think Tua's I think is a bet. What do you think, Jeff? Well, I mean, Tua would be a great, you know, I think addition to a lot of NFL teams. Um, if they can save money and be able, you know, to afford Ezekiel Elliott, that's also, you know, part of the conversation, too. And also yeah. guys like Amari Cooper, they're going to be on the books for beer deals in coming seasons. I will say that the Cowboys' defense is, is really young and uber-talented, and a lot of those guys are going to be looking for long-term contracts. And so I guess if you could get Tua a, as, you know, a cheaper option, it would still be very effective and build around the defense – we did see the Seattle Seahawks with Russell West Westbrook kind of follow that trend back when they won a Super Bowl and went to another one. They had you know a cheaper quarterback is their starter, and were definitely predicated on a defense. Yeah, great running game. Yeah, yeah, I think so as well. Yeah. Well, Joe, let's uh, let's switch to our locker room talk and. You know, one of the things that that I saw this in in college football postseason, you know, in this time of year, there's not a whole lot going on. You don't really have much to talk about, so you just got to talk about trash talking. And some of these things that I saw on ESPN were just hilarious. Uh, My favorite one, though, was, you know, Jim Harbaugh has made a big deal about every offseason taking Michigan to all these Michigan players to some interesting place. He'll take them to Rome. He'll take them to – Dublin. in Dublin. He'll take them to, you know, I don't know, like Paris. So this off season, apparently he's taking them to South Africa. And the Michigan uh, Twitter feed asked all of their Michigan faithful, they said, hey, are any uh, Wolverines fans, what are the best things to do, in, in, or where's the best place to go in uh-huh. South Africa? And how close is it from the airport? And uh, Brewster the Buckeye tweeted a picture back that had a sign that said uh, it's closer to South Africa for Michigan than it is to Indianapolis for the Big Ten Championship game
1: (laughs) because they've never been there before.
0: (laughs) He was like, how about you figure out how to get here first? (laughs) There it is. Brutus the the Buckeye right there. (laughs) It's a little sign that has South Africa and Indianapolis and then it said any of your followers ever been to Indianapolis <laughs> um, yeah Ohio State and British they definitely know uh, the roadmap to Indy uh, one I thought was really clever Dan another uh, jazz. Thing too is that Dan Mullen he's known from his days in Starkville as being a huge trash talker I and mean, what was he did day one when he gets into Mississippi he starts putting up those billboards everywhere that says our state and it's got the Mississippi State guys holding their hands out I mean that was that was his goal from day one so you know I bet that he doesn't do that kind of stuff on accident <laughs> um I liked this one so there's yeah. been a there's been a lot going on in the off season. Um, about this whole Clemson versus Alabama thing, about how Alabama won't admit they just got killed by Clemson. It was a better football team than them. There's all this like talk, like well, our preparation wasn't that good, or we had assistant coaches that weren't focused on the game. And so suddenly, a bunch of the Alabama players during SEC media games were asked, "Was Clemson the best team that you played last year?" And they said, "No, we thought Georgia was the best team that we played last year." And <laughs> What I thought was really funny is Justin Ross, who comes from Phoenix City, Alabama, big time recruit that both Alabama and Auburn missed out on, went to Clemson. Of course, Justin Ross went off for I think 190 yards against Clemson last against Alabama last year in the championship game, and he said, "In my opinion, Texas a and was by far the best team we played last year." They were. They were. I mean, they're the only ones that they were tied with them the whole season. <laughs>
1: Like, that's an entirely, entirely truthful and accurate tweet. Whereas Dylan Moses, I mean, that's just willfully ignorant. The fact
0: that anybody can say that Georgia was the toughest opponent for Alabama, I mean, we saw a national championship game. Yeah, I think we saw it. We we know the best ones. Um, Joe, another one that I saw that was really good... Uh, you know, going back to Jim Harbaugh, a lot's uh, said about how Harbaugh is way too ingrained in old school style football. And even when he has a playmaker like Shea Patterson, who is a fantastic player, he still is a three yards in a cloud of dust, you know, guy. And he doesn't throw it. He doesn't ever do anything interesting or really have creative play calling. And apparently, the first day of spring practice, somebody flew a banner over Michigan's practice that said. Hey, Jim, this is God. It's okay to pass on first down. Let's try it. <laughs> well, I mean, you expect this season that Michigan's going to be throwing the ball around a lot more with yeah. Patterson in year two and with a new offensive coordinator that's going to try to run an offense that was similar to what Patterson ran in Oxford. But definitely I think that, you know, if you reference uh, that banner, um, that flew over practice, Michigan, and Harvard. Uh, they'll definitely need to change uh, their philosophy on play calling. That's good, Joe. You got about one more?
1: Um, but that's not what I had it was the uh,
0: Florida-Georgia tennis line. Okay. Well, the last one that I really liked is apparently uh, Dabo didn't want to reward all of his older players at ACC media days. And although Trevor Lawrence, of course, was the star of the national championship game and everybody wanted to see him in media days, he didn't invite him. So one of their offensive linemen, uh, who actually was was black and not white, uh, put on put on the blonde wig and actually starred as uh, Trevor Lawrence at the SEC media days. You're going to take a picture right there, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he took questions as Trevor Lawrence for everybody that wanted him there. <laughs> I uh, saw I like that too. Yeah. Well, hey. Uh, great show. We're gonna do another one uh, later this week on Sunday night. We'll be doing another show and.